Welcome, folks. Edition 19 of the Washburn Files podcast, talking Celtics and NBA. And maybe today we'll get a little boxing in, uh, considering our special guest. Uh, I promise special guests, we've had some special guests, but uh, a real special guest here, Chris Mannix Sports Illustrated, NBA insider, and also a big boxing guy, which, you know, I don't know how you do both, man. Boxing, man, that's a, that's a tough sport to cover. Uh, but if you, you know, if you're a fan of boxing, you follow this guy, fan of basketball, you follow this guy. Um, so, boy, there was, I mean, I can't think of a more crazier NBA week than this week that we've lived um, right now. I mean, I, I, I literally just, I mean, a couple days ago was crazy. And, with, and we're not even talking about the playoff games. We're literally just talking about off the court, all these coaching changes, Chris Paul, then Kawhi's knee injury. And now this morning we wake up to the news that the Celtics have finally uh, figured out what to do with Kimball Walker. And that's trade him to the Oklahoma city thunder and a deal for to bring back old Hal Horford and Moses Brown, a couple of draft picks. The Celtics give up their first round pick um, in the deal, to obviously to facilitate it. So I think that's uh, first round pick number 743 for the Oklahoma city thunder. Um, Chris, what was your impressions of the deal? Brad's first deal, I think there was a question of, wow, is Brad just, he's emotionally tied to these guys. How, how is he going to uh, deal with guys he likes? Obviously, he ain't got a problem because he was Kimba's biggest supporter over the last two years. I mean, he never said word one negative about Kimba Walker, and he deals him two weeks into the job. So what was your impressions of the trade? So to, to peel it back a little bit, um, what I was told when the Kemba's dissatisfied stuff came up in the last month or so was that Brad was actually the one pushing back against Danny about trading Kemba in his first offseason. Brad's mindset in that situation, I was told, was that like you can't sign a guy and then deal him a year later. It's just a bad look for the franchise. Like it just you know, you're trying to recruit free agents. What does that say to free agents if you just move off them in one year? I mean, especially with Boston uh, having some desirability, but obviously not being uh, necessarily a marquee market to go to. So uh, that's what made it interesting, number one. The, my other immediate takeaway, Gary, was like, I kind of cringe a little bit without, without even digging into it. Like, if you're a first-time GM, do you really want your first deal to be with Sam Presti? Like, is that really, like... Sam's arguably the best at this job. Yeah, he's probably like he, going to win. Yeah. He's elite. Like, and yeah. to do a deal like this before the Chicago pre-draft camp, and that's another layer we can peel back, like to do it this quickly, that gave me reason for pause. Now, there are, are obvious reasons that this is a good deal with the Celtics. They get out from under the final full year of Kemba Walker's contract, which comes a year from now. So they really just get Al Horford and the bio for Al Horford in the second year of, of Al's deal, um, which frees up the financial flexibility to do certain things. You can give Evan Fournier more money. Um, you can do, you can be under the luxury tax, which they clearly want to be. That's something else we can talk about. Like, yeah. you know, Daniel Tice deal first, and now this deal. Like, they clearly are making an effort under all circumstances to keep under that luxury tax. My question was, you know, could they have done anything give up that first round pick 
or at least to give up a future first round pick with protections. Like I saw some people tweeting during the day, like, you know, they didn't want the Al Horford deal to, to disappear. The Al Horford deal wasn't going anywhere. Like, it's this, there's no market for Al Horford. I'm sorry. There isn't. Like, it, there's no market for him. Like, Al Horford was going to be on the Thunder for next week, next month, into yeah. next season. It just wasn't going to happen. Al wasn't going to get traded. If he was, Oklahoma City would have been able to deal him uh, at the trade deadline before. So there are reasons to think this is a good deal for the Celtics. I think Al still has some game left. He was rehabilitated in Oklahoma City during the first half of the season that he played there. He's uh, clearly a five now, and the Celtics have had all kinds of problems with the five spot since Al Horford left. Uh, so, you know, there are reasons to be uh, to feel good about it. But, you know, that, that first-round pick looms large. And especially, Gary, like I mentioned the pre-draft camp in Chicago, like Brad's – I assume Brad's not really dug into this draft all that much. Like he has no. – like he's been coaching for the better part of the last uh, eight months or so. So I think I'd like to have seen what's out there before I give away a potentially valuable mid-first-round pick. Yeah. The question is like whether Brad thinks they're already just too damn young, whether you've got Neesmith and Pritchard and, uh, you know, do you bring Grant Williams back? Like, I thought, if anything, throw Grant into the deal. Just try to try to rid yourself of some of the young guys that just aren't helping you. Um, I, I think what I viewed from this draft after the first seven or eight picks but like any draft now because of the, the this elite thing and, and the G League. A lot of these guys are crapshoots. So you could score big, you know, you could come away with a guy who could really help you, or you could, you could come up with a bust. But I was, yeah, I'm not a big fan personally of giving up a first round pick um, in the deal. And, and like, let me just say this, Gary, like on this, like, you know, the, I, I agree. Like people say, people that are down on or, or don't care about giving up the draft pick, like, well, you know, there's something's been a mixed bag in that range. Like it's, it might not be a good player. If you're convinced it might not be a good player, that's more a reflection of your front office. Like, you've got to be more upset than them. Like, they, yeah. like these guys, there are guys in the 16 to 30 range that turn out to be great players. Look at the all totally. rookie teams that turned out. Like, these are not like one, two, three, four, five. These are guys picked in the middle uh, of the first round in large part. So, like, I, I think is if you have a, a high-level scouting department, you should feel confident that you can get a good player with that first-round pick. Yeah, the question is, do the Celtics have a high-level scouting department their talent evaluation over the last couple of years has not been good in terms of the guys they've passed up this 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 past draft. Everyone's every Celtic fan is is cringing. You know, Desmond Bain makes the All Rookie Team. The Celtics basically gave him away to Memphis for picks yep. they'll probably never use. Uh, Sadiq Bay, a guy who beat them in one game with seven threes um, over Aaron Neesmith. Although Neesmith might turn out to be a pretty good player. I don't know if he's ever going to be a real mainstay, uh, but I think he's, he's turned himself into a rotation guy. Um, I, what does this say about Brad? Like, um, as we just mentioned, like he was Kimba's biggest defender and who knows what Kimba's issues were. Obviously hearing that he was going to be that Danny was kind of dangling him after last year. Didn't help the situation, but um, is as much what does it say about Brad, the, the, the GM president now, uh, that this is the first deal he pulls off? I think he's just trying to quickly put his imprint on the team and put himself in position to do the deals that he wants to do to upgrade the team. Now, this is not like Kemba for Al and we're done. Like, as we mentioned, there's financial flexibility here. There are things the Celtics are going to be able to do now 
Um, most notably, I think with Evan Fournier, that to me represented one of the bigger future dominoes to drop. It seems more likely than not now that Fournier will find his way back into the Boston mix. Um, so this is just Brad kind of trying to put his own stamp on the team. And I think there's more to come here, Gary. I do. I mean, yes. like the point guard position is now largely vacant. I- I'm not convinced. I don't know about you, but I'm not convinced Marcus Smart will be here next year. I mean, I no. think Danny liked Marcus Smart a lot more than Brad. Brad does. Like Marcus yeah. Smart. Like, like that's that's people around the team and you you're every day like it's pretty clear to to see um i think we could see smart on the move as well and, and that's kind of why to bring it full circle like that's kind of why the first round pick i cringe at a little bit because smart on his own has value last year of his contract still a high level defensive guy um but smart in a first round pick has more value and yeah. could you have gotten something back in return uh for a package of smart a first maybe something else i mean i look at portland you know, CJ McCollum is kind of dangling out there. Like what's, you know, what's going to happen there with him? Could you have made mm-hmm. a deal with them? They clearly need to put defensive minded guys alongside Damian Lillard uh, to try to make that team a contender. It's just that that first round pick is you, you can sort of explain everything away and understand everything. But that first uh, I, I think, you know, will be something we look back on a year from now and wonder. Yeah. Unless Brad tries to trade back in to this draft or yeah. unless he pulls off a deal and gets one back. I mean, obviously, I think anything with Oklahoma City at this point is how many picks are you giving us? Like, we're not, you know, we're, we're whole, we'll do you this favor, just like they did uh, with Chris Paul, just like they did with Horford. Like, we'll hold Kim before you and we'll give you uh, Al's cheaper deal. But what's in it for us? I think the Moses Brown thing is interesting because obviously, um, He's a prospect, quote unquote, a one and done guy to UCLA who probably, I mean, who came out way too early, but now he's trying to route himself into being a productive player. He's bounced around. I think he was in Portland on a couple of two ways. And then literally right after he grabbed 19 first half rebounds against the Celtics, I think two days later, OKC signed into the, one of those like, you know, four year deals uh, to keep him. So he's on a cheap deal. He's an active body. He's kind of security for whatever happens with Robert Williams in terms of if he ever stays healthy. And I think that obviously now with uh, Al there, Tristan's likely gone because they don't need four bigs and two plus 30 bigs. Um, What do you think of in terms of Brad's, like, do you think Brad is doing this on his own? Do you think Brad, like, the thing was, Zarin's there and Austin Ainge. Are they losing power in this? Because it just seems like those are Danny's guys and they're still around, but obviously Brad has a different method or probably a new fresh ideas about how to do things. What do you think are the roles now of Austin and Mike Zarin? Well, I don't know because I would assume that sometime before the start of next season, we see additions to that front office. Yeah. You see, I do think you'll see some of the coaches that are on the Celtic or were on the Celtics bench be elevated into the front office. Maybe not like the Jay Laranaga types who are coaching lifers, but you know what I'm talking about, like yeah. the behind the bench guys and, yeah. and people that have been involved in analytical stuff, video yeah. stuff. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see them elevated into the Celtics front office. And then we'll see. I mean, I think this deal, and I haven't talked to anybody specifically on either side about the machinations of, but I do think this deal was a Sam Brad deal. Like these two are really close. Like they are, 
very, very close. I've told the story before, but like, you know, Sam, like back in 2012, you know, there were conversations in Oklahoma city about firing Scott Brooks to bring in Brad Stevens. Like this was after the finals. Like that's yeah. how much respect Sam has for Brad Stevens. They've maintained a close friendship throughout the years. So I think, you know, I'm sure Mike Zarin, who is deeply involved in the, the minutia of these deals was, was heavily involved here, but it, you know, it says something that Sam is the first GM that Brad deals with. I mean, given their yeah. relationship, which yeah, by the way, is also dangerous because now, Sam will smile at you and tell you it's a great oh, deal for you, but then yeah, he'll, and then, he'll yeah. rip your heart out at that one. Yeah, then, yeah you won't care. So yeah, I think that's true. that to me was uh, that to me suggests that um, Brad was deeply involved in in the, the the consummation of this deal. And and again, we'll see we'll see who he who he fleshes out that front office with. But I do expect additions to come. Overall, like how do you summarize? Then I mean, I. I thought Kimba was a great guy. I thought I, you know, we both saw him torch the Celtics over the years as a member of the Charlotte Hornets. He was durable. He could score. He was, he, you know, he, he was just a, a badass in Charlotte, three-time all-star. And then, you know, he makes the all-star team. It's the first half of his first season was very good. Then that knee stuff started. Then he played that 40 minute in the all-star game. Never was the same after that. How do you summarize his two years here? And it seemed like a very smooth transition from Kyrie and the Celtics. Hey, we got a better guy. We got a better teammate. We got a better person in the community, et cetera, et cetera. But man, it just seems like it just went south fast. Yeah, I would say it's an incomplete. I mean, fully healthy Kemba Walker. I think the Celtics beat Miami and get into the finals last year. Fully healthy Kemba Walker. I think the Celtics advanced at least past where they were uh, this season, or at least have put themselves in position not to be in the seven, eight seed range and, and compete for one of those four or five spots and potentially advance in that spot. I mean, the injury derailed and screwed up everything. Um, you know, Kemba is a great guy, is a great teammate. Um, and I think still, frankly, Gary, I think still has some game left in him. I mean, one thing yeah. to watch with this deal, Oklahoma city has arguably the best medical staff in the league. Everybody will tell you that. And don't be shocked at all if they find a way to strengthen that knee of Kemba Walker and play him in like 75% of the games next season and put him to the level where you can do the exact same thing. You can take a distressed asset in Kemba Walker and deal him for another distressed asset plus a first round pick. I mean, I was joking yeah. with somebody from Oklahoma City today, like this is kind of your one roster spot for like bad contracts. Like you just park yeah. a bad contract there and keep moving it and keep getting a distressed asset or keep getting a draft pick back in return. I had one exec text me like, you know, mark it down. Kemba for Kristaps Porzingis this time next year. Like, wow, yeah. you know, like if you, and it's sort of just reading tea leaves, like Porzingis didn't play great for Dallas this year. Kemba, you know, maybe they need a point guard in Dallas. Um, and you could see them turning around, taking on Porzingis's bad contract to move Kemba and get a first round, first pick, round pick back in return. So I, look, I, I, I understand the knee is a major concern and the Celtics clearly know more about it than any of us. They are, they have every piece of medical information you can possibly have. I'm just saying what I know about that Oklahoma city medical staff, they might be the only ones in the league that can, you know, get this right. And I think there's a real chance that they can do it. It, it seemed like with Kimba, um, he, he, he felt good, but then even like the bone bruise during the, the Brooklyn series where uh, it, it, at 30, you might hit a wall. I think everyone 
looks at LeBron and then looked at, you know, Kobe and thinks that, that all these guys are going to play their, till they're 38. And there's just some guys when they hit 30, that wall, Steve Francis, Tracy McGrady, where it's like they're never the same or they're just trying. I think maybe Draymond Green might be hitting that like plateau of like at 30, you know, not everybody's going to play till they're productive till they're 37. Like it, it just seemed like with Kimba, he, I don't even know how sure he was that he was going to be back because I think confidence was a big thing with him. Like I think he played this year with very little confidence. There's times he showed that swagger, but I also think if he's not hitting shots, if he's not that third score behind Tatum and Brown, why is he on the floor? Because his only defensive asset is taking charges. Not saying he's a <laughs> terrible defender, but guys are going at him. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to get six or seven steals. He's not that type of defender. He's a good charge taker. So it, it just seemed like it was, it was wearing thin. And then obviously in the Brooklyn series, he gets hurt again. And they, it's, can he, could he play in back to backs next year? No one answered that question. Was that ever going to end? You know, because uh, they were preserving him for the playoff run. And then he gets hurt. I, I, I feel bad for him. Because I think some guys just like Hayward come and it just doesn't work out. Um, and I think Horford can be a positive influence of Robert Williams. I think they really bonded because Williams was a rookie and saw Al, how he carried himself because Al's a quiet leader. He's not going to turn around and curse these guys out or do the whole, I'm, you know, you need to be like me kind of thing. He's just going to lead by example. I think that'll help Robert and then I think that'll help Moses Brown and maybe light a little fire under Robert in terms of, okay, God, you guys got another young big here. Oh, I, I got to stay healthy. Um, but I think, what do you think? Okay. So now this team has to have to find a coach. And two weeks ago when Brad was elevated and Danny retired, it was the only job open in the league. Now there's five more, including what two or three this week. I mean, how, how does that affect the coaching search? Because everyone's saying, well, you know, Brad's going to take his time and be meticulous. Well, if Orlando and Portland and, and, and maybe Indiana are going after Chauncey Billups, like you, don't you have to kind of speed this up? Or do you, uh, do you do the Brad method and take your time and take, what do you do? Well, I, I think there's got to be a middle ground to all that because, you know, I hear the Chauncey Billups stuff too everywhere. Um, I love Chauncey as a player, one of the smartest players I've ever covered, an inspirational leader, um, still only has one year of coaching experience on the bench. Not to say that means everything, but uh, I'm not yet sold on Chauncey being the next big thing in the coaching rank. So I, I like, if you're sure about Chauncey Billups, if Brad yeah. goes through the interview process, talks to Ty Lue, talks to whoever he needs to talk to, and you're sure, don't wait, jump on the guy before Portland does, before uh, New Orleans does, or any of these teams that might have uh, appealing openings. But I do think the Celtics are in a position, Gary, that th their job is still pretty appealing, right? Like, mm -hmm. you look at some of the openings down there, like, how appealing is Washington? I don't know. I mean, like, you probably have to trade Bradley Beal in a month. Like, yeah. Orlando is like Philadelphia 2.0. Like, they're just, yeah. you know, they're going to go into the, the the crapper, you know, for the next couple of years. Yeah. Meanwhile, Portland is the same thing. Like, you know, I mean, do you take over a team with a ceiling? Like, your top competition – I mean, might be the Pelicans in a way. Yeah. I mean, Dallas is right there too, but the Pelicans have Zion, Brandon Ingram, but the Pelicans don't pay anything for their, yeah. their job. So 
Like, I, I think the Celtics still in a good position to not feel incredibly rushed. I mean, Dallas, I, I, if Dallas doesn't elevate Jamal Mosley, I don't know what they're doing. Like, Jamal Mosley is an excellent coach who has the ear of Luka. Uh, I mean, that's that would be just overthinking the process, not elevate him. So that might be taken off the board pretty quickly. And all the other jobs that are open, I mean, I think the Celtics are still – one of, if not the most appealing ones out there because of Tatum and Brown. So uh, I don't I don't think you you take your sweet time with all this, but I do think you you don't need to run out there and and offer Chauncey Billups a five-year deal, offer Ime Udoka a five-year deal, or, you know, go after Rick Carlisle or whatever that's gonna be. Like I think you still are in a good position to be somewhat methodical with this search. Well it's interesting, Chris like what do you think happened in Dallas? A couple of weeks ago, I think after the series, they asked uh, Carlisle about his job status, and he said, hey, I'm here as long as they want me to be. Two weeks later, he quits. What, what do you think happened there? Was it Luka? And, and obviously, the athletic story kind yep. of exposed a lot of chaos, I guess, that's going on in their front office. Um, obviously, Cuban shoots that down, and then two days later, Don Nelson and Carlisle are out. So there had to be something to that story. Um, yep. What do you think happened in Dallas? Well, I, I think it's a couple of things. Um, for Rick Carlisle, you know, Donnie Nelson leaving, um, I think gave him a little bit of a push there. He and Donnie were incredibly close and they had built something there. They built a championship team back in 2011. And look, Rick was there, what, 13 years. Sometimes, you know, things run its course. And while he did have a generational talent in Luka Doncic, you know, everybody kind of knows around the league that that relationship wasn't great. Like they, they weren't seeing eye to eye in a lot of different ways, coach and player. So I don't know that he was leaving a guy he had really bonded with. I think the, the kind of underrated part of all this, and it was probably more interesting before last night, but uh, Milwaukee could be open, you know, and like yeah. I think Rick Carlisle looks at the Bucks and says, all right, well, that's a potential championship team. There's Giannis. I could be a difference maker. Uh, with that group, he'll never admit to that because you know, no. the head of the coaches' association is going for the job. Not, yeah. <laughs> another He's not coach, but for somebody else's job. No, but. no, but like you know, you can you know you talk yeah. to enough people and you can get see that right kind of vibe all. off it there. So you can you can see that. So I think there all, all those things kind of went into a pot and made Rick realize like you know I'm done. I'm 61. I'm going to get another job. Uh, it's not like I'm going to lose money in this equation. So you know, with all these job openings, I think Rick Carlos saw a chance to to end his tenure in Dallas early. I think it's interesting, Chris, is like now it becomes, well, you know, former Celtic, uh, does he become a candidate in Boston? And if Brad hires Rick Carlisle, you're basically hiring the not not officially, but not not, but kind of an older version of yourself, right? Like you're Brad's for you're hiring a guy 17 years older. He's not going to replace relate to the players any better than you did, I don't think. Like you're just basically saying. Uh, if you if you hire Rick Carlisle, I'm hiring a better coach than I was, because who can yep. take this team? Because Carlisle, 61, he's a no nonsense guy. We've seen him not get along with guys over the years. Good guy to deal with, but as we see with now with Luca and you know the Rondo thing's a wild card. Rondo doesn't get along with a lot of people, but you can see that if he becomes this candidate, and you know I don't know how much the Boston ties would, would help him. That's Brad basically admitting he wasn't a good enough coach or he's hiring a, a, a coaching upgrade as opposed to hiring, you say, a, a diverse voice or a different voice or someone recently retired, someone who can relate to Tatum and Brown. Like, do you think that 
Rick would, I mean, I think he would be interested in the job, but do you think the job and Brad should be interested in him? I think there should be a conversation, but I, I tend to agree with you. I think you need something a little bit different than what Rick Carlisle brings. And Rick had his most success with a veteran-laden team. You know, the Mavericks in 2011, yeah. Dirk, Jake Kidd, you know, all those guys from that team were deep in their careers. Now, Tatum and Brown have been a lot around for a long time, but they're still young guys. I don't know. The fit just seems a little bit awkward to me. That's why I think Milwaukee makes a lot more sense for yeah. Rick. Maybe even Portland makes a lot more sense uh, for Rick. The guy I like in Boston have all along is Ime Udoka. Like, I, I just, like, Ime was always a really smart player, and, I, I like, he's paid his dues. Like, he came totally. up through San Antonio. He went to Philadelphia, you know, and and was a big factor, was a big reason for one of their success there. He goes to Brooklyn now, is on their bench. Like, yeah, like let's let's start rewarding guys for accomplishments. And I look, Ime Udoka comes from a completely different place as Brad Stevens. Like, I mean, he's, yeah. he's they're like they're totally different in in how they kind of came up in the coaching ranks. So that's a guy to me that 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 really stands out as as a strong candidate. I'm sure they'll interview him, no question. Yeah. Darvin Ham the same way, but I like I like Udoka maybe a little bit more for for this fit. Um, I, I think that's the way they should be looking. I mean, Brad Stevens gave them one thing for eight years. Maybe look at a coach that that will bring them another. And I can tell you from talking to people around Tatum and Brown, not that you should, you know, not that you should let players dictate who coaches the team. I think that's the kind of voice they're looking for too. Somebody a little bit different than what Brad Stevens was over the years. Yeah, I think a fresh voice. Udoka's an interesting guy because he just, I mean, you've never heard him speak. Like he, he just, he has literally just been the man behind the man in Philadelphia when he was in San Antonio and now in Brooklyn. Like you, you, you want to like, he, 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 there's just so much unknown about him. He was a role player as an NBA player. So I don't even think people know what his voice sounds like. Mm -hmm. Major claim to fame with people is he's got a son with actress Nia Long, which was a, which is a great thing. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's his, that's his claim to fame that people kind of, you know, regard him as in sense of his outside of his coaching abilities. Um, I, I think, I think he'd be a great choice. I, I don't know. And I think Brad is astute enough not to want to hit a home run with a big name. Like if it's, Billups has the bigger name, so does Sam Cassell, which I really haven't heard in this search, which is interesting, unless Cassell said I'm good. Um, it, that's interesting that they really, you know, we're not really hearing much about Cassell in this job. And he seems like, and he's more experienced. I looked up, I mean, he's been, in, he's 12 years in as an assistant now. Because I guess he he, did, he jumped in right after he retired, um, but I think Udoka makes much sense, great sense. Brooklyn's got a good staff. I think he's paid his dues. You're right. Um, he's ready for his his first NBA job. And I know casual Celtic fans will not know who he is, and will have to learn how to pronounce his name and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But I, I think he's a he's an outstanding uh, choice for the job. It all depends on if it's him and Chauncey. And Darvid Ham, and maybe maybe you do bring in Cassell. Like, which one maybe has the best plan or bonds is better with Brad and the staff, et cetera? But I think there's a few good choices out there that they can't. I don't say can't lose. I mean, there's a risk in everything, but that is the a good, sensible Brad Stevens type move. No, I agree. I agree. And 
I think Brad's smart enough to know that, you know, he took this team to a certain place. Not I'm I'm among the people that believe he could have continued on as coach and, you know, would have had success. I mean, reacting to this bonkers year, you know, with like sweeping, you know, decisions or sweeping generalizations about how things are is is a little bit challenging. It's such a weird year with COVID and everything like that. Uh, but like, you know, I think he's smart to realize that like a different voice makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you. There are a lot of really qualified assistant coaches. And I love the idea of assistant coaches getting elevated. I mean, I, I think too often we get too comfortable with like hiring a name. Like we know yeah. that guy, we know what he is, you know, and I think the Pelicans, frankly, were guilty of it with Stan Van Gundy. Van Gundy. Yeah, you know, I never maybe now they're, maybe now they're looking at Fred Vincent longer than they should have, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but like, I think bringing in a Udoka, Billups, Cassell type right there, giving them a shot, uh, it's a risk, no question, because there's no body of work, but it also has a pretty high ceiling. Hell, Brad was a risk. I mean, like, yeah. he's a 30-something-year-old taking a job with the Boston Celtics, and he built them to a good place. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of, of, uh, of going after one of these top assistants and, and trying to make your mark there. What if um, – the, 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 okay, the, now the – obviously Becky Hammond's been a candidate for a couple of years now. And now Kara Lawson's emerging, and now Don Staley and in New Orleans, Teresa Witherspoon. What is there an optimal situation to hire the first female coach? I mean, I think we all yes. know it's coming, and there's some outstanding, intelligent, brilliant women who know the game. Who I think, and I think younger players are more open to that than some of the maybe the older players, more traditional thinking. I think they're open to that. Is there an optimal situation? Is it, is it going to be like a low market team that's just going to have to take a dive? You know, what, what do you think is an optimal situation for like to make that landmark move? Well, too specifically, if Greg Popovich steps aside after the Olympics, it's a natural move to ascend Becky Hammond to that job. She's been there. She knows the players. She knows the organization. Um, it won't be like this big shock and it won't even be that big a story, frankly, in San Antonio. It'll be a story, but it won't be, you know, every day in San Antonio focused on a woman being the coach. That's probably the most natural transition. And, and you know, Pop is very secretive with his thoughts, but you now the end is coming at some point for him yeah, as totally. NBA coach. And, and now might be an opportune time. Like they're, they're about to enter basically a full scale rebuild uh, at this point. Um, the other is Orlando, right? And I say that because Orlando yeah, they're not doing anything. Like, you know, it's very low pressure. <laughs> like, it's very low pressure. You can yeah. kind of learn on the job. You can uh, grow into the role without, like, the intense scrutiny. Like, you, if you put, like, the first woman's coach in Portland, you all of a sudden you get the Damian Lillard stuff, and it's like, yeah. you know, it, it just becomes more challenging. Same thing kind of with New Orleans, which is, like, has, like, an avalanche on top of them with, like, I, this is apropos of nothing, but, like, the idea that, like, we're worried about Zion at this point every year, too, like, no player, Gary, in the history of rookie contracts has ever turned out a max extension. Yeah, so yeah, let's worry about Zion like five years from now. Yeah, like, let's, not, let's not worry about like what Cousin Timmy is saying about like Zion at, at this point. But that's a that's a challenging one with like, you know, the idea they could be moved, which is out there, which has always been out there with, with New Orleans. Um, so I, that's another one that, that's difficult. Although, you know, Teresa Witherspoon being there would make it an easy transition as well. I just think San Antonio with Becky Hammond and Orlando – with no pressure, uh, makes makes sense at least on, on the surface for being optimal places to make a groundbreaking hire like that. I think the key also, Chris, is like the staff, like yeah. ha- hiring maybe a former 
uh, MBA coach on your staff, like just padding your staff with all the, the requirements and necessities you want to reach the players, reach certain players, get like just kind of, if you, if you back that coach up, because it will be her first job in, uh, not with Hammond in terms of the NBA, she's dealt with the NBA and Carol also did one year, but someone like Dawn Staley, who is coaching Team USA this year, and her first time taking over for Gino, I think that's interesting because I think she's someone I think could be a great head coach, and I think she's ready. I think she's done all she can do at South Carolina, uh, although obviously a great job there. Uh, women's basketball is is soaring in terms of college women's basketball and, and popularity, et cetera. But I think she's ready for that challenge. But I think you're right. Like uh, Orlando's last two coaches, Steve Clifford, a very nice guy, a solid coach. And then before that, Frank Vogel. Um, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm missing anyone in between. Um, no, those two. Last, those last two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't. We, they, they shouldn't excite any fan more than they would like a Don Staley or a Becky Hammond or a Kara Lawson. I, I think that that uh, it is hopefully time soon for a team to take that direction. Cause I think that. And if you're, if you're Orlando, you're, you're pretty, you're Jeff Weltman, John Hammond, you're pretty solid there at this point. You know, the yeah. ownership basically gave you license to deal away your stars. So that says you're being given a little bit of rope to, to rebuild the team. Why not? Like, what's the downside? Yeah. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to recruit a top level coach to Orlando. It's just not no. going to happen. I know, I know one of 30, all that stuff. And you will have coaches that want the job, but all the names that we're talking about as, as top guys, they're going to be looking at the top job. They're not looking at Orlando's. You might be no, getting no, second tier assistance and it, it might, it might be, this might be the opportune time for I agree. Orlando to, to roll the dice and something like that. Might be the time. I think like, I think they, after they traded Gordon, they traded Fournier, um, they traded Vucevic, like they trade their core, and now they're Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, and a bunch of young, Bolts. yeah, yeah, right there, yeah, a bunch of dudes, and and it, yeah, it's time to rebuild. Maybe luck up in the draft and get that, get another, get a real, you know, shooting guard. I mean, you know, just rebuild. I mean, I think it's time, and I think you're right. Like they have some of the room to say, let's let's start with a young coach. Let's give someone a chance. Um, and, and go in a different direction and see how that works. And I think that'd be a, that'd be a perfect job. Um, what's been your impression of like th- just this week? What like the Washington situation, Van Gundy in New Orleans, uh, and also Bjorken in Indiana. That was interesting. Like I didn't see that coming in terms of before all the story surfaced that he was really not reaching the players, and then all of a sudden stuff happened with Greg Foster. And the kid, you know, Gogo or Bobo, whatever the yep. uh, uh, the center. Um, what's your impressions of, of those situations? Because it just seems like it was funny. Like the season ended, and usually that that Monday or whatever. There's three or four coaches fired. Nothing happens, and then for two weeks, and then boom, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I mean, each one certainly unique. In the case of Scott Brooks in Washington, like his contract was up. Uh, I know they talked about a new deal, uh, but, you know, couldn't come to an agreement. And, you know, both sides kind of move on. That's a tricky situation to be in because, again, you don't know what they're going to be next year. Are they going to be a team built around Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook and headed for the playoffs? Or is Bradley Beal gone? Is Westbrook a one-man band? And you're kind of building around Daniel Gafford, Rui Hachimura? Like, it's a, 
it's certainly a weird situation. So that was just the kind of a mutual, like we saw a lot of mutuals. There's a lot of mutual yeah, going mutual. on last week, but yeah. no, that, that was one of the, like the rare ones. Like that was a, a, a actual mutual decision with Stan. Like Stan just didn't connect with those young guys. And, and you know, Stan, like he, he grinds you. Like he runs like, you know, two plus hour practices, hour long shoot arounds. Like it's, he does this, like he's, he's a taskmaster. And yeah, you know, that didn't connect with, Brandon Ingram, um, you know, you read some of the reporting on Zion that, that came out this week. Uh, so I just, it was just a oil and water type of mix. And I guess give credit to David Griffin for kind of realizing that right away and just saying, all right, we're going to move on and try to find somebody that is a better fit. There needs to be a whole like book written on Nate Bjorken in Indiana. Like, you know, like how a guy who was a well-thought-of assistant on Nick Nurse's staff could be just a complete and catastrophic failure, you know, yeah. in that one year, like is yeah. wild. Meanwhile, Nate McMillan, is down in Atlanta, you know, <laughs> you know, one game away as we record this from going to the Eastern Conference the Finals. Conference finals. Exactly. Who they fired, by the way, after giving a contract extension in the bubble. Like, you know, the whole, that whole situation is, is a mess. Crazy. Like, I, I think they kind of outsmarted themselves with Nate Bjorken. He's a really smart guy, but clearly did not have, at least does not yet have the skill set to connect with players. And that's part of the job, man. Like, that's, you know, it's not just how smart you are as a coach, being able to connect with players over a normal 82-game season and not burn out. And I thought Nate uh, had, you know, you, you hear some stories, people in Indiana about, you know, kind of chafing with people, not just players, but support staff and others. Um, it, it just, it's, it's definitely a learning experience for Nate Bjork in there. And, and it just wasn't clearly wasn't going to work out. Yeah. Cause I think that's kind of a, a, a preventative or story, cautionary story for the rest of the league. Like sometimes the hot assistant who's never played, like I know Minnesota just nabbed Chris Finch. We, Really don't know how that's going to go. I mean, did they really play a lot better after he took over for Ryan Saunders? Eh, you know, they, they're in the lottery. They could lose their pick to Golden State or whatever. But, like, we'll, that's wait and see. But the, this, the hot assistant, like, the analytical guy, like, that's – I mean, I, I remember, like, a couple of weeks in, I remember Malcolm Brogdon saying, like, wow, we finally got a great – a good offensive – like, he basically was raving over Bjorken and then – a few months later, it was like, uh, not so much. And it's just like, it, I think that's telling teams, hey, like, you got to have some experience here. Maybe not head coaching, but like playing or dealing with these young guys. You can't just throw in socially awkward guy into a head coaching job and then expect him to flourish because I, I, I feel bad for Bjork. I mean, I'm sure maybe with some changes going on in Toronto, maybe he goes yeah. back there. Uh, and, and, and works under nurse again and kind of re rebuilds his name. But um, I think that it's a lesson to like the Celtics and Portland and all these other teams, like that hot, you know, out of the nowhere assistant maybe doesn't work these days. I mean, I think as I've written, I know, you know, like these young guys, they're coming into the league at 19, 18 and a half, 19. They've got to mature. They've got to grow into manhood. They've got to deal with family stuff. They've got to, try to learn the game, be more serious about it, all that. Meanwhile, while making millions of dollars and having all these distractions and trying to grow up and be a grown man and, you know, pay, pay their mother's mortgage and all this other stuff. And then also try to be an all-star. Meanwhile, everyone on social media after a bad game is calling them trash. You know, it's, it's like, I would, I don't know. Like I, I, I think it's almost, it's a, such a different job than 
20 years ago when you had the, you know, the old crotchety guys would yell and these guys would run through a brick wall. It's just relating to these players uh, is a, is a, is an art in itself. Yeah, it's challenging. And that's why, you know, I saw Dallas, you know, hiring, there's hiring a search firm to look for their head coach. Why? I mean, look at your bench. You've got the guy that connects with players. It's clearly well-respected in terms of X's and O's interview for other jobs before most recently, I think New York, uh, you know, don't overthink it, man. Like if you got the right guy, keep the right guy, build on that, not just look for, you know, the next lightning in a bottle, which I think the Pacers did in moving from Nate McMillan to Nate Bjork. And wrapping up here, I know you're a busy guy. What do you think the Celtics next move in terms of roster? Like we coach, we talked about it. Like what, what should Brad do to try? Cause you, you have a window here. Like um, there could be changes in Milwaukee depending on what happened. We don't know what's going to happen in Philadelphia. Brooklyn, obviously, if, they're come, if they come back healthy next year, will be the prohibitive favorites because um, Sean Marks is going to come up with some move to upgrade the roster even more because he's, he, he's, he, he has shown the ability to do that. But what do the Celtics do, you think, this offseason to try to get back into that top four? Well, I mean, with the Nets, you know that based on what we've seen, the ring chasers are going to go there. I mean, Blake Griffin did, LaMarcus Aldridge did, so you can expect someone else to take short money to play with that big three. I don't know if you're the Celtics, if you can look at it through, how do we get in the, into the mix with the Nets? It's more like incremental steps still. And, and that really just involves Marcus Smart. Like I, to, to me, what they do with Marcus Smart is the, now the biggest off-season decision facing this team. And what can they get for Marcus Smart? I certainly hope that a Smart deal doesn't materialize as quickly as a Kemble one. Because I think <laughs> Smart, you've got to kind of play the market out. Yeah. You've got to see, like you said, like, How's Milwaukee finish? How does like what happens in Portland? Like, I think you got to get it to almost August before you make a decision, unless you get blown away. Make a decision on smart because that's when teams, you know, kind of play their hands a little bit and you know, wait to see if anyone will will call their bluff. Uh, you know, but you know, smart represents the Celtics' best chance, maybe not to improve the roster because you don't know what you're gonna get for them, but to certainly change it in a significant way. And as I look at this team, Gary, no point guard. Like, I don't think you're gonna run smart up there for 35 minutes. I don't oh. think Peyton Pritchard's the guy to play for 30 plus no. minutes. Like something's got to give at they that spot. Play. And, and smart to me is the one that could uh, change things at that position. Well, Chris, thanks, man. Anything you want to plug? I know you got uh, boxing obligations, anything boxing you want to bring up? I mean, I, I, oh, man, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in El Paso, Texas right now, getting ready for the uh, zone show on Saturday. So it's uh 102 degrees, I think right now in El wow. Paso. So, uh, uh, me sitting here in my jeans is probably not going to be good when I step outside in a couple of minutes for the first time. So it's uh, it'll be fun, though. Well, Chris, man, thanks a lot. Great insight, as always. And we'll see you down the road, maybe in person at an NBA game next year, uh, hopefully. But good luck this summer. I know a lot of, a lot of fights. I got to look at my fight calendar to see if there's anything <laughs> worth watching because like, all my favorite fighters are either retired or dead. So hey, if they're retired, they might still be fighting. You know, Joe yeah, Hoy is coming back. back. Like, you never know. You, know, you can get another uh... Mike Tyson, Logan Paul fight. Hey, let's go. Let's 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 do it. <laughs> but thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Gary.